chapter 6. Hebrews chapter 6, I will begin at verse 9. This chapter had begun talking about the warning against apostasy. And then in verse 9, the writer says, Though we speak in this way, yet in your case, beloved, we feel sure of better things, things that belong to salvation. For God is not unjust so as to overlook your work and the love that you have shown for his name in the service of the saints, as you still do. And we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness to have the full assurance of hope until the end, so that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. For when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself, saying, Surely I will bless you and multiply you. And thus Abraham, having patiently waited, obtained the promise. For people swear by something greater than themselves, and in all their disputes an oath is final for confirmation. So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath, so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain, where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. So far, the reading of God's holy word. We now join in singing together. I was asked to listen with you to the confession of Lord's Day 37. And just so Peter understands, I'm going to be taking two Sundays, so I asked him, I'm coming back in two weeks, so he can give me the same assignment for the next uh, two weeks from today. So I'm going to deal with Lord's Day 37, only the first point this afternoon. Question 101. But may we swear an oath by the name of God in a godly manner? The answer, yes. When the government demands it of its subjects, or when necessity requires it, in order to maintain and promote fidelity and truth to God's glory and for our neighbor's good. Such oath-taking is based on God's word, and was therefore rightly used by saints in the Old and the New Testament. May we also swear by saints or other creatures? No. A lawful oath is a calling upon God, who alone knows the heart, to bear witness to the truth, and to punish me if I swear falsely. No creature is worthy of such honor. 
Beloved congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ. This afternoon we're going to listen to the confession of Lord Day 37, which, as you have noticed, now focuses on the oath question. This is a Lord's Day that is often thought to be of less importance than most of the others. And people who know something about the origin of the catechism are inclined to say this Lord's Day is really outdated. Oh yes, they say, it may have fitted in at the time of the Reformation, but surely it does not function anymore today. At the time this Lord's Day was written, they say, the church had to battle against the teaching of the Anabaptists. They were the people who refused to recognize the oath. So it is obvious that the church at that time had to include a statement, a confession, concerning the use, the place, the, the, the proper use of the oath. After all, the church must be relevant. She must speak out on the questions, on the issues of the day. Right? But, they say, but that is precisely the reason why this Lord's Day is now altogether beside the point. After all, who today, who is troubled by or confused about the oath question? How often are you even asked to swear an oath? They say. So let me say it clearly. It is my conviction that the oath question is far more important today than may be apparent at first sight. That will become evident the moment we give some careful thought to the historical situation which gave rise to the question raised in Lord's Day 37. Yes, it was indeed the Anabaptists who refused to recognize the oath. But why? Why would the Anabaptists not recognize it? I should mention here in brackets that we must not confuse the Anabaptists with the present-day Baptists. Though they are, there are indeed points of agreement between the two, for example, they are both Arminian. It is the Mennonites and the Amish who today continue to defend and to uphold more or less the specific teachings of the Anabaptists on the questions at issue in this Lord's Day. See, the Anabaptists indeed refused to recognize the oath. But for them, for the Anabaptists, the oath question was not an isolated question. Surely not. Because, you see, they were also opposed to charging interest and to military service and to the authority of the government in requiring a marriage license. In other words... The oath question was for them 
part and parcel of a number of questions. Questions that I go back to and that rest upon a definite view, a definite understanding of life, of the life of Christians in this world. And see, it is that view of life, it is that heretical spirit that is addressed and answered by this Lord's Day. Simply stated, it is the question of the relationship between nature and grace. What does that mean? Well, you see, the Anabaptists thought that the grace of God, which is ours in Jesus Christ, the grace of God in Jesus Christ, they said, stands completely opposed to all created life, that is, to all of nature. People who are, who are redeemed by Jesus Christ, they said, that is, people who have come under the power of God's sovereign grace, are thereby set free from all of natural life. The natural life and its laws, the laws of nature, are only things of this earth, they said. However, he who is spiritual has nothing to do anymore with that. You understand? See, the Anabaptists thought that for the sake of Christ, they had to become adversaries, opponents of the natural, the everyday life of man, with its precepts and laws and regulations. For that reason, they rejected, for Christ's sake, the laws of the state governing marriage. After all, marriage is a thing of the flesh, they said. As a matter of fact, for that reason, they rejected all authority of the government. After all, the government is something of this world, they said. And... For that reason, they wanted no part of charging interest or serving in the military. For those are all things of this world, and therefore to be put away, to be done with, they said. Well, now, for that reason, they also rejected the oath. Because the oath, they said, the oath is part of legal life, and all of legal life is part of, it belongs to the natural life, to the things of nature and not of grace. The bottom line of their thinking, therefore, comes down to this. These people reject life and the laws for life which God the Father had made and given in the beginning. They rejected that because of an erroneous understanding of the work of redemption, the work of God the Son. In other words, 
Here we are not simply dealing with a difference of understanding the oath. Rather, here we are confronted with a conflict concerning the Trinity. Because, you see, the Anabaptists placed God the Son and his work of redemption over against God the Father and his work of creation. And then you see it. See, the question about the oath is in reality only a small part of a much larger question. This question, how must a Christian look at life? Life in this world today. Saying that in other words, how must a Christian see, how must a Christian understand the work of God the Father, who is our Creator? Must he, for the sake of Christ, say no to this world and to the life of this world? Or must he, for the sake of Christ, say an emphatic yes to that life as created by the Father in the beginning? See, that is the issue of this Lord's Day. The moment you see that, you understand also that this is a very relevant Lord's Day for today. Because the question, how must we stand before our Savior and Lord in this life? See, that is a question of life and death significance. I'm going to speak on the oath question. There are three thoughts as follows. The grace, the blessing of the Lord revealed in the oath. The poverty of our life exposed by the oath and the triumph of the oath expressed in our life. This afternoon, as I already indicated, we're going to focus only on the first thought, the blessing of the Lord revealed in the oath. It's important that we understand clearly the purpose of the oath. You see, the oath intends to give certainty to the life of man, of mankind, in a world filled with deceit and falsehood. In other words, the oath assumes both the reality and the power of sin. And see, the fact that there are people, people in high places who commit perjury, lying under oath, that fact illustrates just how very serious the situation really is. Think of it. The Lord God had made it possible for man to break out of his loneliness. He had made it possible for man to establish fellowship with his fellow human beings. How? Well, by means of his ability to speak, to communicate. Imagine for a moment, imagine that we, that we could not talk, that we could not communicate with each other. 
Each one of us would be left to self. Each person would effectively be an island. Ah, but we can speak. We can communicate thoughts. We can give expression to the secrets of our heart. We can make promises. We can promise faithfulness, making one word dependent upon another, as in a covenant. That, oh, that is a most wonderful reality. But, about oh, that is not the only reality. Sin is also a reality. And see, sin is able to poison that exchange of words. You know that yourself. It happens that we ourselves just say something. For example, we can make rash promises, promises we could not possibly keep. Moreover, we can become unfaithful, untrue. Think of it. We can speak superficial words, words without depth or content. We can also speak unthoughtful words, words that say much more or less than we really intended. We can speak hasty words, words we ourselves all too soon forget. Well, now, so there is also the consciously deceptive word. Words by which we mean deliberately to lead others astray. Ah, then we have altogether distorted, corrupted God's beautiful gift, the gift of speech. And as a result, we now also wonder what the other person is up to when he or she says something. What does he really mean? Think only of how you respond to the speeches of candidates for public office. When such a candidate promises something, does he, she, really mean it? Will he do it? Does she know what she said? Will he, she not forget? Is he only giving me a run for the money? See, we experience it. The beautiful gift of communication has become a shambles in many respects. Oh yes, God intended it. He meant it to give firmness, certainty to our life and peace and glory. He meant that through our ability to communicate, the fellowship of love should come to expression and to unfolding. But it is that gift the gift of being able to communicate. It is that gift that is so often making life uncertain today. Now when someone says something, we think, tend to think, I wonder, 
What's really behind that? Can I trust it? Depend on it? Because we know there is deception out there. There is the lie. And the lie tears apart. People's words no longer always give certainty to life in society. Because there in society, there all too often, people's words have been cut off from God. Well now, even the Gentiles understood that. They understood, moreover, that man's words can have firmness and give certainty only when he speaks them, not only to the ears of man, but first and foremost to the ears of God. He knew God must be my, our witness. Well, now, out of that very real and terrible situation, the oath originated. See, by means of the oath, a person says, the word which I am now going to speak, the promises which I now make, the obligations which I now assume, it is done in complete earnest. You can depend on it. I am not speaking rashly or thoughtlessly or deceptively now. For I know there are at least three, three parties present here. There is you, there is I, and there is God. And he, he is our silent witness here. He hears, he has heard our words, our promises, our agreements. And I know if I do not keep my word to you, or if you do not keep your word to me, then the Lord God is our witness, because he, he heard it too. And he, I oh yes, he may witness against us today and hereafter. He may break our lie by his faithfulness to the truth. Because it is surely true. You can lie and I can lie. But God. Ah, the Lord God does not lie. We have a faithful witness. The Lord is witness between you and me. That, you see, is the oath. The oath means that in the midst of all of the uncertainties of life, there's again a place of certainty. It means that the words of man, in themselves so often uncertain, have been anchored in God. It means that we, by binding ourselves in our words to God, also bind ourselves again to our fellow human beings. And so, 
So our words, so our communications, again, have a measure of firmness and certainty. Now to be sure, in the world of the Gentile, in the days of Israel of old, in that world of the Gentiles, the oath still had much uncertainty. Because those Gentiles did not know the Lord. When he swore an oath, the Gentile bound himself to a God of his own imagination. And because that God was an idol, a nothing, a vanity, because that God was itself a thing of uncertainty, see, that is why binding himself to such a God could not really give certainty to the Gentile. For by swearing an oath to his idol, he in fact swore an oath to a lie. A lie of his own making, of his own creation. And I'll think for a moment of the words of Isaiah. In chapter 44, Isaiah spells out the foolishness of idolatry. A deluded heart, he said, has led the idolater astray. He no longer knows truth from falsehood. And then think also of what is happening today. People, people are are permitted no longer to swear on the Bible in the courts of the land. Well, now, that was the reason why the lie reigned supreme in the world of the Gentiles, in a world where the Lord God was not known or confessed. And that is why there was so much fear and superstition in the world of the Gentiles. But then you understand also why there is a lot of fear and indeed more than a little superstition that characterizes our social living and the legal system within our society today. See, the Lord God and the revelation of his word of truth is more and more forsaken. It is again the lie that reigns supreme as it did in the lives of the Gentiles surrounding Israel. Think only of the speaking of those in government today who no longer know truth from lie. But in Israel, it was, it had to be different. For the Lord God had revealed himself to his covenant people. He had revealed himself also in the third commandment as the God whose name is truth. In and by his name, remember, the Lord God says who he is. The I am that I am. The trustworthy one. He is the one who redeemed his people, Israel, from the slavery in Egypt. 
the house of bondage. And yes, he is the one who delivered his people from the bondage of idols. The Lord revealed himself as the God who is faithful and true to his people, who also asks that his people be faithful and true to him and to each other. He asked that his people affirm the truthfulness of the words by swearing by his name. Think, for example, of Elijah. See, the Lord God asked that his people swear by the firmness and the truthfulness and the faithfulness of their God. Oh no, they must not swear by a God of their own imagination. They must not swear by a God of lies that would render every oath powerless. Rather, they must swear by the God of perfect faithfulness and absolute truth. So the name of the Lord would be for them, as indeed it is for us, the point of certainty in the midst of all the lies of men in society today. See, the God of truth has, as it were, placed his name under the life of his children in order to give it a solid foundation. And we, in our oaths by the name of our God, we link our words to his faithfulness and to his truth. So our communications, our promises, and our agreements attain certainty. Our words stand on the solid foundation of the name of our God. Then, you see, lies the foundation for societal life, a life in society, in society that is firm and solid again. <coughs> see there, the grace of the oath, the blessing of the oath. The name of the Lord is revealed, without which societal life has no foundation. Think of it. In the midst of all the uncertainty and all the corruptions of life, Israel of old had again a point of certainty. By means of the oath, she could give certainty and stability to her life again. So the lie could be conquered. And then you see it. Then you see that the oath was and is a gift of grace. It is a token, an expression of the grace of God to his people. And then you understand also why the churches of the Reformation considered the oath question such a very important thing. See, if it were only that the Anabaptists had a misunderstanding about a word of Christ, if it were only a misunderstanding of one Bible text, why then surely the whole dispute could be disregarded by us today. 
But it was much more than that. It wasn't simply the misunderstanding of one text. Rather, it was a rejection of the name of the Lord. It was a misunderstanding of God's entire self-revelation for our life in society today. A misunderstanding that is again and again disrupting and disturbing the life of the church. The Anabaptist said, The oath, it is only a thing of this world, like marriage and military service and charging interest. The Anabaptist said, You've got to turn your back to the world. Because this world, the Lord's creation, you understand, this world stands opposed to God. It is anti-divine. It is anti-God in its very essence. And see, by so expressing themselves, the Anabaptists denied that the name of the Lord is spread abroad over his entire creation. Psalm 48, verse 10. Instead, they placed the name of the Lord over against life in all of its breath. See, that is why the Church of the Reformation reacted to the teaching of the Anabaptists as it did. Because, you see, the name of the Lord surely does not stand negatively over against life. Rather, the revelation of the name of the Lord gives foundation to the life of man in the world today. Remember, without the revelation of God's name, of his truth, life for man in this world is indeed uncertain. That is clearly evidenced in every society where the name of the Lord is disregarded and or despised. We can see it clearly in our own country, which is steadily drifting away from the word of the Lord as revealed in Scripture. Credibility gaps are simply accepted nowadays as part of life. But the Church of the Reformation saw that all of life must be anchored upon the name of the Lord. Then and so, there can be faithfulness in government, in business, and yes, in marriage. But without it, everything will fall apart, as we can see happening before our eyes today. See, the revelation of the Lord never, never calls for a rejection of life as the Lord created it, as the Anabaptists would have us believe. Rather, the revelation of the name of, of our God calls for, it demands that we accept the foundation for life as it is rooted in him, that so it may be wholesome, healthy, unto life and unto well-being. See, that is why the church fought to maintain the oath. You see, it was not a question of one oath, more or less. Instead, the oath question focused on the foundation for all of life, in order that all of life, including our communications, may be healthy. See, everything, including our words, everything must be anchored upon the name of our God. Then life, 
the societal life will be healthy only then. The Anabaptists preached, forsake the world. Don't have anything to do with it. Turn your back as much as possible upon the world the Lord created. For the world and the things of this world are bad. Leave it, leave them alone. But the church said, don't listen to that. That teaching is false. The church said, accept life, all of life, as God created it, and as he anchored it upon his own revealed name, and so redeemed it. The church said, proclaim the name of the Lord, that name which means faithfulness and truth, proclaim it over all the earth. For only then will life be healthy. Only then will life and society be possible. But apart from that name, life will fall apart. Therein we see the grace, the blessing of the oath. The next time, the Lord willing, we will listen to the remaining two thoughts. The poverty of our life exposed by the oath and the triumph of the oath expressed in our life. Praise the Lord. Amen.